It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And welcome back in. Third and final hour here on Tuesday. And we'll be turning on the light with Jack Spillane in just a moment. Good morning, Jack. Let's shine some light. But before we do that, let's take this phone call here because they've been patiently waiting. Good morning. You were on WBSM. Hi. Hello. What's on your mind? Good morning, Tim. First, I just want to say this is twice I called into the show in one day. I'm a radio listener. My TV broke. And I'm actually enjoying the radio now more than TV. Thank you. It's crazy, right? But I love it. But I, I also feel for that gentleman that called in, and um, and I know he's of a certain age, and I hope he does keep calling and letting you know how he's doing and stuff. And um, I kind of relate to that in a way, though, because um, I'm a widower. It's been two years, and now I'm I'm I feel like I'm you know I'm like ready to get out there. I want to go and do things, and and. Um, I just don't know how to get myself out there. I'm computer free. So, you know what I mean? I am really old school. And um, I also, well, I I don't consider myself an old senior, but I am a senior. I'm in my 60s. 60s. Um, But um, I heard, now I'm thinking you, if anybody can get the truth, the senior centers are going to close. Because they say they're not going because there's not enough people since the pandemic. Everybody figured out where to go and how to go anywhere. Well, that's not true. I just finally came in real, you know, I'm done um, being depressed. I'm like saying, oh, you know, I gotta, I gotta make friends. I'm in an awkward age, early sixties. Some seniors kind of send me off. Right. But anybody younger don't want me. I feel like a teenager again where I'm in that odd age. Well, no, it's let, let me let me quell your fears. Uh, the 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 senior centers are not closing per se. What they did is they consolidated. So instead of having so what happened was the the Buttonwood Senior Center uh, has been closed down, and instead oh. there is one in the north end and one in the south end. So they just consolidated some of those programs, but they're still offering the same programs that they were offering before. It's just I don't I don't know where exactly you live in the city, but one might be more convenient for you to go to than the other. I live by the airport. So I, I I don't know which one probably closer to the north end. Yeah, I would think right. so. So you it's a dime toss. And and you still drive? You you still drive yourself? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like I said, I'm in my early sixties. I didn't say it was a hundred and one. No, but some pe- <laughs> some people just don't have a car anymore. No, no, I I maintain that. I still have my husband's. I'm, I'm gonna sell that. Um, what well, for? Sounds like you should interested. just go over to book on. That's okay. where it is. Book so here's park. the thing with the north end, we gotta we gotta do the Amita parking, right? Parallel parking. I no, there's a parking lot at the senior center. The north end or the south end? Which the, one? the north end? Well, both of them. The north end one is in Brooklawn Park, and uh-huh. the south went, south end one is at the very edge of uh, of Hazelwood Park, and both of them have a lot. I know this for a fact because when the story came out that they were closing. Uh, that they were closing down the Budwood one. I went out and I took photos of all of the different senior centers, and a fly just flew in my mouth. 
And um, <laughs> and when when I went and I took the photos, I went into the parking lots. So they they both both of those senior centers have parking lots that you'll be able to utilize. Yeah, because like I said, I just finally get in the courage, you know, to like adventure that way. Because I don't, you know, how else am I? Well, I'm gonna, have a, I'm, I can't sit here. I need friends. Let me give you a phone, phone number. Okay. If you have a pen. Yeah. Uh, I always have one. Now I don't. Yep. Okay. It's uh, it's five zero eight. Yep. Nine nine one. Okay. Six two five zero. And that's the number for the Council on Aging. Actually, you know what? You want to call 6251 would probably be better. Either either one of those numbers. The one. Okay. Yeah. 50 is the administration. 51 will give you some of the programming. But this way here, you can give them a call and say, you know, I'm interested in getting involved in some of these programs. And maybe they'll say, come on over and sit down and talk with us. We'll let you know what's available. We'll show you the facility. And uh, and then hopefully that gets you uh, in the mix of, of starting to take part in some of these. Yes. I mean, that's what I really need. And I also want to thank you, Kim, for always, um, well, since I've been listening to the radio for the last six weeks, I love the way you always point out that the sales card. Now, I used to live in Wareham for a short stint, and I loved it going to that library, and I got my sales card. I still have it. I don't know if they use them, like call them anymore, yep. but I love the fact that you say, Go to the library. Like yesterday, I had no idea. You can actually go to museums and places yeah. like that. Lots of passes to things. Now I'm thinking, boy, somebody like me, you know, like, yeah. So you're go- what's going to happen is you're going to go to the senior center. You're going to make some friends. You're going to be able to go to the library, get those passes, and then you and the friend are going to be able to go to those pla- go to the museums and everything and not have to pay a dime. That'd be so awesome. I mean, oh, that is like so neat. And then the good weather's here. Yeah. I mean, so who wants to just, yeah. Take, so take advantage and, and depth. You so oh, much. you're welcome. And please keep us up to date with how everything goes. I will. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, Tim. Take care. And, uh, yeah, that's I recommend that for anybody, not just seniors. Go to the library, take advantage of those passes because you can get into all kinds of stuff and not have to pay a dime. That's what they're there for. You know, yeah. the, the libraries buy those memberships. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you know, it brings up the problem of it is a difficult transition for people who have been married all their lifetime and then they are uh, by themselves and have to get back into the swim of things. Yeah. I mean, where, where do you meet people? Most people meet online these days. You know, you try to talk to somebody when you're out and about, they're like, who are you? Leave me alone, weirdo. Yeah. You know, <laughs> those yeah. days of starting conversations are over. But we're going to start a conversation with Jack Spillane right now because we're going to be turning on the light. Jack, it's 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 been quite a week, and you know some of the stuff that we talked about last week is still you know top of mind this week. Uh, you you talked about this a little bit with us last week about the city council's failure to override Mayor Mitchell's vetoes on those ballot questions, but you really took a deep dive with your article that came out last week. Uh, and again, I'm going to read the title for you because uh, colleagues finally stand up to New Bedford's forever councilors. And uh, with the forever councilors, of course, you're referring to Council President Morad and Council at Large Gomes. Yeah. So um, I I felt that this was a watershed moment from for the council. I think that um, some of the younger councilors, some of the councilors who haven't been on as long, have tended to defer to councilors um, uh, Gomes and Morad, who have been on the council. Uh, I think it's um, 
26 and, and 18 years respectively and um, uh, I felt that in the end all three questions went down and the only councillors that voted for all three were councillors Morad, Burgo and, and, and Gomes, councillor Burgo he said he did not make a deal for the rent stabilization but and he said he actually personally opposes um, the Community Preservation Act uh, being repealed so you know, I don't know how you put it on the ballot and endanger it to, 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 to repeal if you really believe in it that way. That council I thought was – that column I thought was also important because there had been a lot of misinformation, including at the meeting where one of the councilors said that it was a 51-49% vote for the CPA. It was Councilor Morad. It was not a 51-49% vote. It was a 54-46% vote. It won by 8%. Um, it won by almost 1,400 votes. Um, I thought – Anybody who follows New Bedford elections knows that 1,400 votes is a lot of votes. Mm-hmm. The four-year mayoral term won by almost 800 votes. It was a six-percentage point win, uh, a lower turnout than the CPA one, which was done during a state election. So a lot of this misinformation that had been out there about how close those votes were, about supposedly so many people sat it out. People choose to sit out because they're not, they're not acquainted with the issue. You know, well, they that, weren't motivated by yeah, the issue. That, that's, oh, they weren't motivated by the issue? That's their problem. You know, uh, in the CPA's case, people went out and collected the, I'm, I'm not the CPA, in the, um, four-year mayoral term, people went out and collected the signatures. If Councilor Gomes wants to, you know, put that back on the ballot, go out and collect the signatures. Um, it, it was interesting, it'll be interesting to see where this, what comes out of this, is Councilor Lima evidently extracted a, um, a promise out of Mayor Mitchell to work with, um, uh, uh, the council on a, a recall provision for the mayor. Uh, recall well, for, for all elected, yeah. all elected officials. Re- recall provisions can be um, uh, difficult. As we saw, Jaisal Career beat back one even after he had been indicted. Um, uh, Jaisal is now in jail, but the, all he had to do was get his dedicated supporters, sort of like the Trump base, and he was able to to beat um, back the challenges to that position. So, if they do have a recall. To me, it's going to have to be um, a very carefully worded one that does not give the um, person who's recalled an incumbent to, uh, an opportunity to be recalled as Jaisal was and then win the recall to stay as mayor. They had to recall him twice, if, if you remember. I, I don't. I don't know that they. I think any recall provision has the ability to for them to run again, doesn't it? Yeah, but but this this was all you had to do was get a plurality of votes, not a majority, but just a plurality. So I I, I think you have to get that down to a situation where it's a two person field, and you know that way the recalled mayor, especially if they're indicted, you know, to to me a mayor is not recalled because you disagree with him on the sewer and water bills or because you disagree with him on how much the employee reclassification should be. That, that's just a disagreement. You recall a mayor because they've been indicted, that they have serious yeah, wrongdoing. So it has to be a high number of signatures and a high and a, and a very high bar for that mayor who was recalled to then win the recall to stay in office the way Jaisal did. Uh, and Mayor Mitchell uh, on this program talked about you know, it would be something that would really have to be extreme situations for it to be put into effect, like, you know, physical, uh, you know, mental or physical incapacitation, um, 
obviously anything criminal would be part of that. But, you know, he said that it has to be something that's used in very extreme circumstances. And again, not just because you have political disagreements. Yeah. And I, I wasn't aware that we're also going to recall the counselors, which makes sense to me, which, which would solve the term limit problem that's on a lot of people that I talk to's minds. So if they have recall for the counselors would be the same thing. It would not because you disagree with them on a position of theirs. It would be for either incompetence for health matters or for something like um, criminal criminal activity. Yeah, if you look at Counselor Coelho, for example, you know, she wasn't there for a lot of the meetings because she had things going on in her life. You know, then somebody might have wanted to have recalled that because you're basically missing a counselor uh, for yeah. all that time. I actually thought Coelho should have resigned, you know, when she was missing all those meetings, but she didn't. And, and you know, I don't, I mean, as far as a recall goes, I don't I don't know whether I would support a recall for poor attendance. There are, there are present counselors who have not great attendance. So, I, I mean... Yeah, I think it's sort of a spy or beware when it would, comes would, to the Would voters. having that, that hang out there, though, would that having that hanging over you, would you think that would... I, I just think it's a, it's a hard thing to measure. I mean, is is missing five meetings in a month enough for a recall, or does it have to be ten meetings? You know, I, I just think it's... When you get into attendance as a measurement, I think that that's, that falls a little short of um, incapacity or, or criminal wrongdoing. Well, I certainly want to dive some more into that. Why don't we take our first break? When we come back, we can talk more about that. We'll also talk about some other things that have gone on in the city. We'll also take your phone calls at 508-996-0500. We'll take a break and be back in a few moments with Jack Spillane as we're turning on the light. Back in a few. And welcome back. Uh, we are with Jack Spillane turning on the light. Sorry, Jack, we were having an off-air conversation, but I wasn't paying attention to the <laughs> clock. Um, DSI in New Bedford says, Tim, you should have gotten that lady's number that wants to get out. I'm in her age bracket, LOL. <laughs> well, go down to the Council on Aging, you know. Maybe uh, maybe you can Might meet up. Want a photo for us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, nothing against you, DSY, but I don't think AppChat is supposed to be for love connections. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we were talking about what happened at the at the council meeting um, and about those, those um, vetoes all being sustained. And so you were talking about how this is an important step here that the council is breaking away from this idea of, which you've never been a fan of, the idea of, you know, one council voice all, all being together. Yeah, I understand why the council wants to have leverage against the mayor by being unified. But the fact is they're not always unified. They have disagreements as to what the position should be. And the way all the councilors joined in when those, when those three questions were suggested, debated, and passed onto the ballot all in one night, they weren't sent to a committee, they weren't uh, there were no public hearings on them. They weren't studied. It was all done. I just felt that a lot of counselors who didn't even believe in the questions, and the best example of that is Shane Burgo and the CPA, uh, went along with it. And I think that, that I was glad to see that the counselors, you know, just did not go along to get along, and they found their voices and, and overrode those vetoes. I do think that um, the mayor got involved. The mayor often looks down his nose at the council and he does not get involved and, you know, doesn't think it's worth his time. Uh, maybe it was the four-year mayoral term. Uh, maybe it was the rent stabilization, which he was against. But I know, I heard, uh, you know, that he, that, that, that the administration at least lobbied individual councils. And Council Lima talked about the mayor talking about the recall provision in the four-year mayoral term. Anyway, I thought the fact that all of them being, you know, failing to override was about what they were worth. You know, if there were serious referendum, they would have collected signatures. If they were serious referendums, they would have held public hearings and had the community debate it before they put it all on the council in one night. And I, I just thought it was finally 
the rest of the councilors finding their voice in standing up to councilors uh, Morad and Gomes. I, I, I say Morad and Gomes because those are the two leaders. Morad sponsored the CPA one. Gomes sponsored the the four-year mayoral term one. And really, the only person who had been working, you know, ahead of time and, you know, trying to develop a plan was Shane Burgo and the rent stabilization one. I had criticism of, of Shane also because I felt that he did not go to the realtors. He did not go to the um, Chamber of Commerce or to the mayor himself. And if you want to pass a major change to the community like rent stabilization, you're not going to do it just with the progressives. Just as if you want to eliminate the CPA, you're not going to do it just with the conservatives. You need to have the moderates. And, you know, these people who think I can get, I can just, you know, weasel, you know, my position through and somehow get the voters in a sleepy election to vote out the CPA, or I can weasel my position through and get the voters to put, you know, to put pressure for the rest of the city to adopt rent control. If you really want to change, get the moderates. Work with the moderates and see what you can come up with. And um, one of the one of the things that I found interesting out of the aftermath of that is that Councilor Burgo talked about you know now having more of these discussions in his housing committee and and having more of these discussions with some of these other stakeholders that you're mentioning so that there can be a more complete consensus about because he's not giving up on the idea of wanting to have rent stabilization. He's just admitted that we need to look at this in a different it's, it's different a, way. It's a perfectly um, reasonable suggestion. I, I don't know whether I agree with it. I, I want to hear more about how it's different from the old rent control. But it's a, it's worth having a discussion about. But you have to convince other members of the community to buy into it. You know, I mean, I just don't think you you blithely in one meeting put things on the ballot like that. And I don't think you you do that without even giving the mayor of the city a heads up as to what you're you're thinking about. And so I think I think hopefully. He's learned he's going to have public hearings on his count, on his committee now. And let's have a discussion. Let's hear both sides of it and see if we can get a consensus. And just, just, for, the, just for the record, how many times in your career of covering the New Bedford City Council have you seen them just place questions on the ballot before? You know, I, I, I'm off the top of my head. I can't remember. It doesn't happen very often. Right. And usually it's, when it happens, it's because someone's collected signatures. That's the way it was with the four-year mayoral term. The CPA, I don't think they collected signatures, but there was a lot of discussion in the community about the CPA and whether the city should adopt that. Well, wasn't, um, wasn't that the state wanted municipalities to put it on the ballot? I'm not sure Am about I wrong that. that. I mean, the, 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 some of the suburbs had had the CPA for years and years before New Bedford had it. By the way, Someone I, I heard driving in, someone was suggesting why not the state do, do the CPA at the state level. The reason for that is the C, what's great about the CPA is once you pass something at the state level, the legislature can muck it up by saying, oh, we promised it was going to be for education, but we need the money for housing. So they can divert the money. The wonderful thing about the CPA is that you have a community group in the city or the town and they decide we approve this project. And that money that is raised from that surcharge to the property taxes is spent on the projects that are approved. It's totally in control of the local community. Now, people say, oh, other people can come in and use the park. That's true in some cases. But other other things are affordable housing is built with these things. Nobody can go in from another town and live that unless they move to New Bedford and apply for it. So, you know, I, I just think it's a local control thing. You know, you know where the money is spent. One of the best things that ever came down the pike. And uh, caller, we'll get to you in one moment. I just would be remiss if I didn't 
re- read this response. Uh, hold on, I just refreshed. Read this response uh, from Chris Cotter to my previous statements. My comment generated you to make false statements that made no tie to the CPA. But if you're going to highlight the city of New Bedford's quote sweet insurance deal that the unions get, please get your facts straight. My hour copays and out of pocket amounts are the same ones that most insurance plans have, and my copays are far from the five dollars that you made everyone now think. I, I was just throwing out a number. To which I would say to Chris Carter, why has the union repeatedly for many years opposed the, the city opting into the state's insurance plan, which would allow the state to save money by allowing younger workers and other workers to opt to less expensive plans? You know, I mean, it's been proven. Fall River has done it. Fall River saved millions of dollars by doing it. The unions in New Bedford have adamantly opposed it. If he is saying that 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 that, that the unions are 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 um, interested in saving the taxpayers' money on that, then they would allow the the um, unions the, the the employees to pick and to opt in to the state's um, insurance plan. I forget what it's called now. I'm drawing a blank on it, but they have for years and years. The mayor has asked the council to approve that. And the council has rejected it out of hand so much so that I begin to think that some of the councilors think that they represent the city employees as opposed to the city taxpayers. That, that, you know, I am, I'm, never mind councilor from Ward 4, I'm a councilor from the police union. I'm the councilor from the firefighters union or the teachers union. You know, you're the councilor from the whole city, all the citizens. That's who you're the councilor for. All right, let's uh, let's take this phone call here, 508-996-0500, if you want to talk with Jack Spillane. Good morning. You're next on WBSN. Good morning, Tim, and good morning, Jack. How are you there? You know, rent stabilization is a Band-Aid. You know that in the city of Cambridge, they get the most local uh, state local aid than any other city in the Commonwealth, and we're getting chipped over here? You know, if you own a property and you, you live in that same property up in Cambridge, you get a tax break. Now, if the city council and the mayors, they're really serious about bringing down rents, well, they should implement, if you live, if you own and live in your tenement home, you get a tax break, and you can pass that on to your, to those that rent in your building. That well, would be a win-win. I, I don't know what the situation is in Cambridge, but I, I do think that we have to listen to what Shane is proposing. I think a lot of the criticism was that this was not a specific proposal. And let's hear what he's he's saying that this would be different, that they would allow landlords to increase the taxes, that they would have a, um, uh, they would be exempt from mom and pop owner-occupied buildings and new development would be exempt. Let, let's hear the details about you know what he's proposing. Um, we, that was one of the problems. Is that I think that the real estate community was was very apprehensive because there were no details, and they felt that they were going to try to get a positive vote out of the public, which I believe they would have gotten, and then pressure people to adopt whatever they came up with because well, of that positive vote. Well, and and, uh, and owner, homeowners are being squeezed with a uh, rising uh, insurance, property insurance costs. You know, and then um, uh, uh, Linda Morad said. Jokingly, that uh, the water bill and the sewer bill is going to go up, and the taxes are going to go up, and we're getting squeezed. And then this whole thing with rent control—I mean, it doesn't help out the uh, the homeowner who's getting squeezed from all angles. Yeah. That's why a proposal similar to what's in Cambridge, as far as you live, you live in a tenement home, and you uh, you own and live in it, you should get a tax break, and that's how you would help your your tenants. That would be a good thing, you know. But why doesn't the Commonwealth spread the money around? Why does uh, Cambridge have to hog all the money while we're scrambling for $3 million, the mayor said, for road repair, 
when uh, Cambridge is, uh, you know, they're, they're eating high on the hog. So uh, you brought up the water and sewer bills doubling. I want to say something about that. The city basically has no choice. It has a, a consent agreement that has entered into the with the EPA. I believe that the city council approved that consent agreement. And that consent agreement, um, the city has no choice because if they had not entered into it, the EPA would have sued them. It's to clean up the water in Buzzards Bay. Now, I think what the city council should be doing is what the suburbs did. When they were recently talking about uh, septic system regulations increasing exorbitantly and enforcing the towns to adopt these very expensive new septic regulations. They they screened bloody murder to the legislative delegation and the legislative delegation moved to change that. I don't hear anybody in the city council screaming bloody murder to the, the city le- legislative delegation to give us some money, give us some state funds the way you do to the school system to relieve the water and sewer bills. That's where the debate should be. Not, 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 not let's eliminate the CPA for, for $50 dollars a quarter, um, which is very little part of the, the, the property tax bill. One As- last thing, one last thing, Jack, is where's Liz Warren and uh, Ed Markey and our state representatives, like you're saying, to get us the money that we need uh, to get this stuff done and not just rely yeah, on I the city. I don't think it's Liz Warren and Ed Markey. This is a state issue. This, this would be um, uh, Chris Markey and Tony Cabral and Mark Montigny and well, we can probably uh, uh, Chris Hendricks that, and who have I forgotten? Mike Schmidt. Yeah, Mike Schmidt. Bill Strauss. Th- th- that's the people that should be doing this. Uh, Chris Hendricks. You can't leave him out, too. You know? All right. All right. That was good talking to you, Jack. And take care, Tim. Thank you for the call. Take it easy. And if you want to call in, 508-996-0500. If you want to send in an app chat message, you can do so as well. Just shifting gears for a little bit here, Jack. Uh, the State of the City address was last Wednesday. Obviously, that's always going to be... You know, very much a positive speech. Uh, the mayor is trying to highlight the good things that are going on to the crowd that's in front of him. And as he talked with us last week or the week before last, you know, it's it's a speech that has to serve both to the local residents, but also to people outside of New Bedford. And uh, and I think he did a, a pretty good job with that. Out of all that I heard, you know, the only real new kind of initiative that I heard was the idea of this 311 system for reporting things around the city. Now, we have the C-Click Fix app. But this would be another way for people to be able to report things like graffiti that needs to be taken care of or roads that need to be fixed or anything along those lines. Um, I think it's a great idea, and I think it's really putting the onus on the people of the city to be the ones to kind of stand up and say, we're going to take notice of this and we're going to call it out as opposed to just saying the the negative side of it, which is, look at that. The city hasn't done anything about that. It's been up there for three weeks. Yeah, I, I thought that was the most innovative um, feature of the State of the City Address. I, I do think that um, uh, the 311 feature, the hidden part of that is to try to get control of some of these city councilors who have made their reputations on constituent services and saying that, oh, you go through me. So much so that they've even told the department heads, you know, uh, what they should be doing when they are not the executive. That is not a city councilor's role. Most mayors will allow them to talk to the department heads, but they don't want them saying, do this. You were not elected to do that as a city councilor. You were elected to, you can request that, you know, but you know, do not, you know, tell them, do this or else we're not going to give you money in your budget or any other kind of implication about I mean business by this or, 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 or whatever. Um, the stories that I hear is that we have some councilors going over that line. So I think a 311 system will try to appropriately bring that back into the mayor's office. You know, you can ask. 
but it's the mayor's office who the department heads work for, and they're the ones who should be deciding. Now, sometimes the mayor's office can be unresponsive to things that need to be done, and the council is certainly within their, their purview to complain about the, the mayor is getting these complaints and he doesn't do anything about that. They can say that in the council floor. They can issue a press release, whatever they want. But they are not the bosses of the department heads. And they, and we saw that with the employee reclassification where certain people were getting these lucrative increases that other people didn't get. You know, I just think that there really is a downside to this constituent services that the council is always, you know, brag about. They do have a role. But their role is not the manager of the department head. So I think the three one one thing was was remarkable because of that. As far as the state of the cities go, I'm, you know, when I first came, I I, I used to always be inspired by them, and I always thought, Jeepers, we're making so much progress in New Bedford. But every mayor gets up and and they they tell you so many great things that they've done that you wonder why we have all the problems we have. And so I, you know, I they, they, the the state of the city is like the state of the nation or the state of the state tends to devolve into look at all the things that I've done, look at all the progress we've made. And in that respect, it, it, you know, it's, I, I don't think that they're realistic speeches, you know, on any level, the city, state, or the nation. And, you know, I, I kind of have a little bit of a jaded view to them now because I just feel like it's always like, I guess understandably saying all the things that we've done, but I don't think it's a frank conversation about what the state of the city really is. I, I thought there was, in, you know, your your point about the three one one system kind of circumventing that that need to call your counselor about all of these issues. That's why I thought it was very interesting that that War Three counselor Sean Oliver is pushing the C Click Fix app so much because as he's talking about it, like it's great because nobody has been talking about it. Like we put articles out about it, uh, as I'm sure you did at the Standard Times, then uh, just about it being there and it's great for reporting potholes, and then nobody really talked about it after that. Uh, but he's out there telling people like this is the way to do it. And then I will let me know that you put it in there and I will follow up. So he's basically saying I will be your advocate. But this way here, I don't have to be that person that's making those phone calls on your behalf. I think Sean Oliver has been doing a great job with 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 the um, uh, text that he's been sending out in the Facebook post that he's been posting on the C Click Fix app. He's been out there. He heard that people are frustrated because they, they don't know how to get a streetlight fixed. They don't know how to get a sidewalk fixed or whatever the problem may be. And they're, they're unaware of the C-Click fix, as you say, because there hasn't been enough publicity. I think Sean's been doing a great job getting that word out. I think he'll be, do a great job with the 311 system. And I think he ha- I think he has it right. In the, I think he has constituent services in the right framework. It's not a favor that I'm doing for you, so you'll give me a campaign contribution later. It's not something I'm doing for you, so you'll owe me. No, it's something that I am helping you navigate through. I'm helping you understand the way the city process works. So we, we don't have all this favoritism for those who are connected, get the streetlight fixed quicker than those who are not connected. I, I think I think Sean Olive has been doing a great job on that. And uh, and I know that the usership of the app has gone up. So that's that's a good wow, thing. I didn't know so, that. Yeah. Uh, I think I forget how many he I remember hearing him with um Marcus uh, talking about it on South Coast tonight, and he mentioned just from the time that he talked about it on my show to like a week later talking about it on South Coast tonight, he talked about the increases. And then he was on with me and Council President yeah. Morad a few weeks ago when he talked about the increases even yeah. since then. So Almost all the councilors brag about how great they are at constituent services. I think particularly Ian Abu has tried to make his reputation on that. I, I'd rather see Ian emphasize C-Click Fix. I'd rather see Ian emphasize 311 rather than I did this for you. 
you know, I think that's the appropriate way to do it. All right. Well, why don't we take our next break? 508-996-0500. Back with more with Jack Spillane as we are turning on the light. All right. Back with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. And you can check out his work at newbedfordlight.org. Jack, let's take a call here. Good morning. You were on with Jack Spillane. Yes. Hi again. Jack, I like what you do and I like New Bedford Light, but I got to disagree with you on the uh, sewage thing. Yeah, it's a federal government mandate, and yeah, we're signed on, but the city council dropped the ball on that. And they can use the COVID uh, as an excuse, but they were all playing Brady Bunch on TV there with Zoom and everything. They could have applied for a grant to try to alleviate some of the excess money that's going to have to be spent on water and sewage bills. My water bill last month was $40. And, and Council Morad said to me on the phone that it's going to be doubled. That's $80. Any kind of help would be good. As far as going to the uh, uh, local uh, uh, legislature, state legislation to, uh, legislators to do something about this, I think they were acting on the, uh, on the uh, sewage uh, with the uh, uh, suburbs on a state EPA thing, okay, not on a federal government thing. So I don't know how much help there'd be on this. I would hope that the city council would take this up again. We've lost April. It would be May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December to try to get a grant to help. Okay, Carl, Carl, you're lacking a little bit of information, and we don't disagree on this. Well, enlighten me. we, we, We don't disagree on this. I've written and talked about it many times. There was one year... When the, during the pandemic, when the city did not, council did not apply for that grant. And as a result of that, you had to take the money they didn't borrow and pile it on to the increases that is a result of the EPA mandate. So it's got a little bit more expensive. It was going to be, most of it is not due to that one year. The following year, which was last year, I believe, they did apply for the state grant. So it was just that one year they didn't apply. It did increase it by a little bit, but the, the majority of it is from the EPA consent agreement. And I think it's perfectly within their ability to put pressure on the state legislative delegation to give us some money, to give us something like Chapter 70 money that goes to the schools to, to you know, to help us with the, just specifically to be spent to relieve sewer and water bills. I think they can do that. And instead of trying to come up with things like, let's eliminate the CPA, which will only save $50. Well, let, let's talk about the sewage and treatment. You're telling me then now that they can, there's nothing they can do about getting that grant. They applied for it. They got it for this year. Oh, they got a grant for this year. Yeah, so, so, so it, was, it was two years ago. And that's that going to help us with the uh, doubling of yeah, the... Yeah, but, but sir, but sir, the, the, the year that they didn't apply for it, so it's, it's almost like I owe you $7, and I say... Can I can I pay you next year and I'll pay you eight dollars instead of the seven dollars because I don't pay you this year and you say yes and so that yes it's one dollar extra is a little more expensive that's what it's like they they lost um, some money so that eight dollars now carries over because they didn't borrow it that year but then the, the following year they did borrow it so yes they did increase the the, the bill a little bit but the, the, the but the vast majority of it is due to the consent agreement to separate out the water and sewer pipes. I understand that, but you're saying then they got a grant and even with the grant that they got, uh, it's uh, eighty. Uh, it's going to be a doubling of the yes. Uh, water bill. Yes, yes, it, because it, of the work that has to get it's done. A very. Ex- it, not only do they have to separate the water and sewer pipes, they have to upgrade the regular pipes. It's it's it's, it's two different uh, sets of, of of agreements. And well, I, I understand what you're telling me, but again, I know when the mayor was on, uh, he was upset about the fact that they had missed the boat with the grant. They did, and and uh, again, 
So we're paying them to work for us, and they're missing the boat, and right. it's costing us. But big that money. was two years ago that they, they, they missed uh, that well, boat. Well, two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Uh, you know, again, you know, they're supposed to be working for the general public, and it would help everyone, not just the Zaytarian or the CPA people. Okay, it would help uh, renters. Uh, have a lower rent. It would help property owners pay, a, you know, a lower water bill. And, uh, you know, to me, uh, this is if they can't do something more to reduce that uh, uh, that water bill from doubling. Uh, and I don't mean taking from Peter to pay Paul, going to take out of the, the education thing, to, you know, because now you're going to set those people against you. Uh, there's going to be something else. That but, they sir, can do. I, I agree with you. They should they should have borrowed the money that year, but it's a small part of it. The, 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 the biggest problem is just the cost of these upgrades, well, and that I, I they will, need state relief. I will relief. take any small help to try to get a bill that's going to double, okay, down somewhat. They need they need money from the state and the federal government. Well, I, don't, I don't know if the state's going to bail you out with a federal government problem. Uh, you know, I, I that, that local EPA thing about the... Uh, uh, the uh, people that have um, uh, their own... Uh, look, at, look at, we just had the suburbs put enormous pressure on the delegation. Yeah, but that's about a state issue, Jack. That's not about a federal issue. That does, was the state EPA that does And there was, there what, was what, a little... What can, uh, can can they do the state about a federal government mandate? There's all kinds of mandates that, that have to do with the school system that, that, that they get... Um, stay yeah, because they get big money from the, from I, the I gotta, federal government. For the I got to take a break. Okay, I, guys, I appreciate thanks, the call, thanks, Jack. Thanks for your information. But uh, yeah, I got to I got to take a break. But um, yeah, there was also it works in the regard that there was some some issue with how they went about that whole thing with the with the upgrades. They required upgrades to the residential uh, to the uh, suburban. They, they refused to systems. borrow the low interest loan one year during the pandemic. It was wrong at them. They should have borrowed it, but it's only a small part of what the total costs are. Yeah, my, my point is to with the suburban uh, septic upgrades that they were going to require, there was a lot of cloak and dagger in how that all came about. Yeah. And so that played in, that certainly played a part in helping the delegation say, hold on here, there's something not right. Yeah, so I mean... It, it, that's different than, than it, going up against the federal it, EPA. In all honesty, the delegation claimed that, but but really it was a rule that was in effect for a while. DEP was... A, no, uh, it, it it was put into effect, and but the, the committee that they created to push this through... First of all, they didn't tell anybody who was on the committee. They did it under secrecy. The people that were in that committee, on that committee, showed up at these public meetings and argued, against, you know, argued for these changes without identifying themselves as being members of the committee. Like there was a lot of smoke and mirrors going on in that, and I think that that really helped, you know, yeah, sen- but I, sentiment. I, I would argue that the DEP in that case also had a mandate to, to clean up that septic stuff, and the delegation had the, the state legislature had not. Provided them with any funding for how it was to be accomplished, should they have done it on their own the way they did it? No, but but it was their mandate to do it. They're environmentalists, and they came up with a way. You could argue that it was actually a way of pressuring the legislature to finally do something about giving us money. I got to hold you there, though, Jack. Hang on. We got to take our final break. We'll be back in a few. All right. We have about 40 seconds, Jack. What are you working on this week? Anything you want to share with us? Yeah. So I've been working on a story on this. a uh, little bit of a controversy on the MBTA and the uh, city's complaint um, that it may sue the MBTA over um, what it feels were undervalued um, eminent domain payments. Um, uh, we know that the other four property owners in the city also sued the MBTA. Uh, that has gotten up the ire of some of the uh, state reps, uh, particularly uh, Bill Strauss and, and Chris Markey, and they feel that 
the mayor is not a team player, very much uh, in it for himself. All right. Well, we'll talk to Jack next week. Enjoy every sandwich.